such a precious and lovely time in worship. Andy and the band, thank you so much. Um, you completely undone me, mind you. So I've had to try to gather myself there during the announcements so that I could get up here and speak because I was just completely undone by the kindness and the love of the Father again as we worship together. This morning as part of our Anchor series, I want to look at how the Holy Spirit transforms us. So we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the past couple of weeks. We will continue to talk about him. There is a lot to learn and a lot to know about this wonderful part of the Godhead. But today, I want to talk about how he actually transforms us. I'm sure you all know that we can't transform ourselves. Anyone tried? Yeah, yeah we've all tried, haven't we? We, um, we try to transform ourselves in lots of different kind of ways. But um, to become like Jesus, right? We can try really hard to be good, right? We can try really, really hard to be good. But at best, this is just behavior modification for the moral part of our lives. Or in Northern Ireland, like we call it, we could be good living, right? But our, he- our aim here at Vineyard Church in Gannon, we want to learn as a family, um, as, a, as a church, as part of the body of Christ, we want to learn how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things he did. And I think it's so easy And it's a wee bit convenient even to slip over from being with Jesus, our practices and our disciplines of prayer, scripture, silence, fasting, etc. We can skip over them straight into let's let's do the Jesus stuff. Let's get praying for the sick and do all that. Or sometimes we're guilty of just, do you know what? That's what I want to do. I just want to pray for the sick. I want to see miracles. Let's just get to that part of, of the being an apprentice of Jesus. Let's just get to the bit where we actually get to do the stuff. But we can't skip the transformation piece. We can't skip this bit of becoming like Jesus. It is absolutely essential. Is it an essential part of being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus? We want to become like him. Now, before I skip on, let me say this. Being with, becoming like, and doing the things of Jesus is not a nice, neat, linear journey. Now, I love linear journeys. Right? You will know this when you hear me speak. A plus B equals C. All right? That's how my brain works. My husband is not gifted in that way. He takes us on a wonderful journey all over the place, and I love it. I love that as well. But for me, I'm more a linear person. So this is not my drawing, by the way. I don't know who drew it at OFC, but it's lovely. It's a lovely wee reindeer. But I think sometimes, oh, there we go. OFC still on this flip chart. Wonderful. Sometimes we can see it a bit like this. Can everyone see? Right? We think that we start with, okay, if we learn how to be with Jesus, then it's like we progress on to, oh, we become more like him, and then we progress on to doing the things Jesus did. And we can imagine that this journey of apprenticeship with Jesus, discipleship with Jesus, can look a bit like this, right? When in actual fact, oh, confession, I didn't know how to do this on a slide, okay? That's why, totally reason why it's on paper. I thought, I had no idea how to make this flowcharty thing work on a slide. So I thought, oh, good old-fashioned paper and pens we'll have to do today. It's a wee bit more like this. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the stuff, it's all kind of more, we can start here and we can move to there. We can start here and we can move to there. In fact, sometimes it can feel like we're doing all three simultaneously all at the one time. And maybe, in fact, that is actually what being an apprentice of Jesus is. It's learning to get into a rhythm where we are being with him, where we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, but also then we're doing the things he did. So it's more like my lovely, my lovely flowchart. Who loves flowcharts? 
I love flowcharts. Yeah, I'm a bit of a di diagram nerd. I'm going to leave that with you. So it's not a linear journey, okay? That's what I want us to see first of all this morning. You see, sometimes we are taught by Jesus in the moments of simply being with him. Sometimes we are taught by Jesus in the scary moments of doing the stuff. Although some people don't seem to find it scary like Cheryl Roberts. It just seems to be like breathing for her. And I don't know, she scares me when I go with her because she just takes it all so much in her stride. But when we're praying for the sick or when we're believing for a miraculous turnaround in someone's life who we love or when we're leading someone to have faith in Jesus for the very first time, sometimes when we're in the middle of doing that, doing the stuff, it makes me very quickly swing deeper into the practices of Jesus. All of a sudden, I am praying more. And I am wanting to find out what Scripture says. And I'm wanting to make sure I have the answers for people when they ask me about, well, what does it actually mean to be saved? Do you know what I mean? So it all kind of works and flows really well together. This is the life of an apprentice of Jesus. Becoming like him, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus can feel, though, mysterious and elusive. If it's not behavior modification, that is being transformed from the outside in, then how does the inside out change take place? It has to be more than self-discipline and willpower, isn't it? It's more than that. If it was just self-discipline and willpower, then we all would already be like Jesus. Well, not me, because my willpower is not great, but maybe the rest of you would be. See, the transformation that we all desire, and it is a fundamental part of our salvation, is only possible. To be transformed, to be like Jesus, is only possible in and through the Holy Spirit. It is not possible on our own. Only the Spirit of God himself can transform us. Turn with me to Galatians 5. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be uh, going back and forward in this passage. And I have asked um, Rachel Cummings to come and read this for me this morning. So it's Galatians 5, verse 19 to 26. Anyone need a Bible? Put your hand up and we'll get you one. Um, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Sometimes it's just lovely to hear someone else's voice, isn't it? <laughs> we need to understand the context and the circumstances to which Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. Or else, at first glance, these verses are just a list of worldly vices versus godly virtues. One that we should try to avoid and the other that are really hard to do, right? But this letter is written in 40 to 50 A.D., so it's about 10 to 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. The church is very new, and it's kind of still hashing out what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. 
Some would say the church 2,000 years later are still trying to do that. We're still trying to hash out what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. But it's really brand new in its infancy. The church is brand, brand new. And the Spirit of God is at work. People are becoming Christians. They're being healed. Miracles are occurring. But at the same time, there's this thing going on in Jerusalem. The Roman Empire is still occupying Jerusalem and increasing the pressure and laws on the people. They're thinking, if we can squeeze this thinking out of the people, if we can squeeze this faith and this God that they have that seems to be driving their lives and driving their decisions, if we can just squeeze that out of them, then we'll be able to control them more. But instead, it's having the adverse effect that national pride is rising. And people are becoming more Jewish in their thinking, and, and instead, they're planning to overthrow the Romans. In fact, at that time, there's a group called the Judaizers that began to rise up. And the Judaizers, they were Pharisees who had became Christians. Now, we know when we read the stories of the Pharisees that in Jesus' time, like that, that's a work of the Spirit of God, isn't it? Right there in itself. So these Pharisees who had hounded Jesus, who had actually crucified him on a cross, they were becoming believers. They were finding Jesus. They were becoming, they were being reborn again by the Spirit of God. But with this, that they had this influence. So they said, so what they were saying, these Judaizers, their stance was that you needed to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. So for all these Gentiles then that were also finding faith in Jesus, they were saying, oh, hold on a minute. You can't just come to Jesus like that. You have to become a Jew first of all, and then you can become a Christian. So this is, this is where this conversation is coming into it. Paul is writing this book to remind them what is true about them and this church in the middle of this rise in nationalism and also in this rise of Pharisees coming to be Christians. Galatians 5, 2 to 4 says this, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He's speaking to the Gentiles. He says, if you trust in the law to get into the body of Christ, you don't need Christ. He's saying the whole reason that Jesus came is he came to fulfill the law. So why would you need to go backwards? Why would you need to go back and, and follow the law again like these Judaizers are telling you? Because otherwise you're, you're nullifying what Jesus did. And in verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circ circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And here Paul is saying, if you're still dependent on the law of Moses, then you're totally missing out on this gift of grace available to you through Jesus Christ. And it's into this moment and to these people that Paul speaks, to the Gentiles in the church. And he says in verse 13, you, still in chapter 5 of Galatians, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. On one side, we had the Judaizers and the really strict Jewish people who'd become Christians who were still clinging to the law and to the rules and the regulations. And on the other side, we had the Gentiles who were fully embracing, embracing the grace that they had discovered in Jesus, but they were doing it to indulge their own flesh. And Paul is reminding them, you know what? You're not free to live however you like. There is a level of godliness that Christ is requiring of you. Just because you're not subject to the law doesn't mean you can live however you like. So it's into this tension, into this tension between 
the law keepers and the do whatever they like people over here that Paul delivers this beautiful thought about the fruit of the Spirit. And what does it mean to really follow Jesus and become like him? Well, let's translate it for a moment into our everyday. On one side, and this is going to be a stretch for us in Northern Ireland, but you have people who are pretty legalistic. We would never be accused of being legalistic in Northern Ireland. We like you need to do certain things. You do not do these other things, and you'll be a Christian. And then on the other side, you have people who live loosely. They maybe sleep around, drink too much, and they watch things that they really shouldn't. And they're over on the other side. And we have on one side the legalists and the other the loose living. Both saved by grace. Both born again by the Spirit of God, but living two very different lives. Now, legalists, they'll demand things and have expectations that Jesus would never have on you. I don't want to say that. There's some of you this morning that are living under the expectations of the legalism that you grew up in. That you grew up under this legalism that said you must do this, do this, do this equals being a Christian. But those expectations are expectations that Jesus would never have of you. Things like you need to go to Bible study three times a week. If the church is open, you have to be there. You need to be at meetings. You need to reject culture. You have to live in a Christian-only bubble. Obey all the rules. Be really well-behaved and make sure that people know how really well-behaved you are. That's what it is to be a Christian. And then on the other side of Christianity, there's this group of people who have swung to the complete other side of the, the pendulum, who have embraced grace to beyond grace extreme. And they spend way more money on themselves than they should. They drink way more than they should. They spend a whole bunch of time watching things on TV and on the internet that they really, really shouldn't be watching. That's anything but righteous. And they feel that grace has given them the permission to just live however they want. Paul is writing to a church like that. And in our Northern Ireland church context, it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Paul has something to say then, not just to the church in Galatia, but to us this morning. And it starts with, we need to check our hearts. In many ways, the world that we live in has given us this license to sin. It's like all around us, we've been given this permission and this license to sin. And Paul would say that as a follower of Christ, there is a new way to live. There is a new way for us to live. There is a new culture, and it's the culture of the kingdom of God. This morning, I want us to talk about three paths I want us to walk on this morning. First one is, what is the fruit? Paul gives us an earthly and practical analogy. Our spiritual lives are like plants. When they are rooted in the Holy Spirit, they will thrive and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what are the characteristics of the fruit? They should be up here behind me. The list of the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to run through them quickly. Because we all know what they are, don't we? We recognize these things when we see them in people. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. The entire law is summed up as this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul puts love at the top of the virtue list. But let's contrast this to the top of the vice list. The very first thing that Paul tells us that we should avoid on the top of the vice list is sexual immorality. The Spirit moves us from lust to love. 
It's one of the first things he does. And what's the difference? What does lust say? Lust says, I will consume you so that I can take your loveliness. That's what lust does. But love is, I will serve you to increase your loveliness. Love at its very core is a selfless increasing of the loveliness of another person. You see, I'm going off my notes here, but God doesn't tell us not to lust because he wants to take away our fun. I think I grew up thinking that a little bit as a young Christian girl. Actually, God has a way better way for us to live. Lust isn't even just a poor imitation. It is the complete opposite of what love is. Lust is selfish. It is all about me. Love is always, always about the other. Joy. The Spirit gives us joy. How many of us can say here this morning, I am full of joy? Hands up. Good. Maybe a couple. Good, good, good. We need to talk to you guys and find out how you're doing it. That's great. As you're going about your day and daily life, are there people in your life who don't know Jesus who would be envious of your joy? See, joy is having the assurance that God is at work, even in the mess, that God has overcome an evil through his redemption. And because of that, there is a song of worship in our heart, even when the worst is coming our way. That's what true joy is. Yeah, I've had moments and glimpses of that in my life, but I would love to live in that place all the time. Peace. Well, peace is more than the absence of war and contention. True peace is the shalom of God. You'll have heard us saying that many times. Everything exactly as it should be. That is the shalom, the peace of God. Everything as it should have been before sin entered the world and caused destruction and death. That's what we're going back to. That's what we're moving towards. Every day we're taking a step for, further and closer to the perfect shalom of God when all will be as it should be. But this peace, this peace of God is when life suddenly takes a turn towards disaster and pain. How many times do we describe it? I, the, we, the presence of God is this deep peace that comes over us or rises up in us time and time again. I have sat with people in tremendous pain and anguish. And overwhelmingly, so often they'll keep telling me, there's just this peace I don't understand. There's just this peace that I, I just don't know where it's coming from. I can't comprehend it. It doesn't make sense to me right now. It doesn't make sense that I should feel this peace in my heart and my soul right now in the middle of this circumstance. But that's what I feel. And so often that is what the Holy Spirit feels like, isn't it? That is what he feels like as we sense this deep peace that seems to be on us, but at the same time bubbling up within us. Patience. Oh, don't we love that one? Our Caleb asked me last weekend, was it hard work being a parent? <laughs> Genuinely serious. I love his 21-year-oldness. I was like, yes, son, it was very hard. <laughs> three children under three is a definite Definite recipe for very hard, but also the most honestly, genuinely wonderful thing in the world. But there was many a time 
when I prayed earnestly for the patience of the Holy Spirit to be in my life as I parented my three wonderful boys. And we can understand that outward patience, can't we, the outward working of it. We need patience to live and work and love other people, don't we? We cannot, most, I mean, most people I know can't just live on their own by themselves. We have to interact. In fact, we were created to interact and have, God has placed us in families. He's placed us in, in churches. He's out, put us in workplaces. You think about all the different groups of people in your life that you have, and God puts us there and places us there, and we need patience for one another, don't we? That's the obvious one. But what about the internal patience? How do I patiently wait for the things that God has promised me on the inside? How do I patiently trust that God is for me and I can depend on him when I'm wracked with anxiety about my future? What about that patience? Kindness. Well, kindness is the way in which we live. Being considerate, being helpful, that is the spirit of kindness. I think kindness is a superpower in the world of me first, I need, I want, now living. Kindness is a superpower. Have you ever been just completely knocked off your feet by someone's kindness? I have. Usually in the moments that you're least expecting it. It can be something as simple as somebody looking you in the eye when they're serving you a cup of coffee and saying, how are you today? Genuinely asking you that question. It can be the kindness of somebody showing up at your house with a dinner and you're thinking, how did they know we were going to eat crisps for tea tonight? You know, it's just kindness is completely overwhelming in all the right ways. See, kindness not only sees the other person in front of them, but puts them first. Goodness, we all recognize goodness. Movies are made all about the goodies and the baddies, aren't they? Almost every movie, every movie, every movie has a, a goodie and a baddie. We recognize goodness when we see it. And I think goodness almost looks like the Spirit makes us a self-forgetful person. He makes you good. Faithfulness. Are you dependable? Do you show up when you've said you're going to go to something, even when something more fun turns up? Do you follow through on your word? See, to follow Jesus looks like this. To follow through in your word and be faithful. And this takes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Especially in a culture that says, oh, don't commit to anything. So that's where our culture has gone. We know that we want people that are faithful in our life and people who will follow through. So instead of actually doing the following through, what our culture has now done is like, don't commit. Just don't commit. That's how you avoid being unfaithful. Don't commit to something. Because then if you don't commit, you can't let someone down. That is totally not the way of the kingdom. God wants us to be faithfully committed to him and to each other. Often what he does with me is he, he, he highlights idols in my life. In the list of vices, it talks about idolatry. See, I can so easily give my attention and my heart to other things. Comfort, success, recognition. And I realize that I need the Holy Spirit to keep me faithful to Yahweh. I need the Holy Spirit to keep me faithful to God. Gentleness or meekness. It's definitely not a value in our culture. 
our culture says, I'm going to get my way no matter what. I don't care who I have to push out of the way, step over the top of. And being gentle is often seen as a weakness. But we are called to live cruciform lives. And what I mean by that is we are called to live lives that reflect Jesus on the cross. Jesus became gentle and meek and died for others in order to have his way. It was his gentleness that led him to the cross. It was his submission that led him to the cross. How completely contradictory did it look to everyone around him who were waiting for this Messiah who was going to come riding in and, and rescue them from the Romans and oppression. Instead, Jesus takes on gentleness to bring true freedom and revolution. Finally, self-control. We don't have to muster up some level of self-control. We submit ourselves to the Spirit, and He brings us out of us. It's choosing the way of God over choosing our immediate pleasure. We all know this, don't we? We live in an instant culture. If you want it, you get it now. Buy now, pay later. Like, in all seriousness, before the 90s, who ever heard of buy now, pay later? It wasn't a thing. You saved up. You got the thing you wanted. And it's like for all, if you look around our culture in all different ways, it's all about, I want this now, I'm going to have it now. It's immediate pleasure. They talk about self-control is when we can um, delay our gratification. Holy Spirit self-control is a whole different level. This is about us over, overcoming the sinful nature that's still in us. This is about us overcoming this fight that we have with our flesh all the time. So what is Paul getting at using this metaphor of fruit? We're talking about being rooted, like we said, and it's not our fruit, you and mine. This is the Spirit's fruit. This is the Spirit's fruit. And we have to root ourselves in the Holy Spirit for this fruit to grow in our life. You see... Some of us, and all of us are guilty, we're guilty of rooting our lives in other things. Sometimes we'll root our life in ambition. And what do we reap from that place? Well, sometimes we can reap success. Other times we can reap failure. But they're all temporary. We can root ourselves in our outward appearance. And we can reap the fruit of insecurity and obsession with what's on the outside, not just of ourselves, but of everyone else around us. We become obsessed with that. We measure ourselves constantly comparing and seeing how we measure up with other people. But that is an empty, empty place to put your roots in. I want us to notice this. The fruit is singular, not plural. This is the first time I really noticed this was this weekend. It's a singular. It says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And yet so many times I personally have talked about the fruits of the Spirit, but it's actually the fruit of the Spirit. There is a one variety of this fruit, not multiple fruits. So here's the good news. When we get one, we get them all, right? When we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we get all of these. It's not a wee bit like anybody ever done Strength Finder? No? I have. I love it. Great. So top five strengths. Sometimes I think we read about the fruit of the Spirit, and it's kind of a wee bit like that. It's like, okay, what's my top five? 
out of the nine. And what we're really looking at is our own natural attributes in our life. And we think, no, I do know I am a very kind person. I am a very kind person. I am very patient, especially living with Jason for nearly 23 years. I'm a very patient person. And uh, I can be gentle. Yeah, I can be, I can be quite a gentle person, etc. And it's almost like we get this list of nine and we grade them one to nine, see how we're doing. And then there's maybe some of them, let's be honest, that are not in our life at all, right? And we're like, oh, God, I really need that. And then we start praying for that one, don't we? We're like, Lord, please give me self-control over the cupcakes. I can't stop eating the cupcakes. They're calling my name all the time. And the scones. And the cake. Oh, self-control, I need self-control, I need self-control. But we give ourselves to them, we think, oh, we need all these things, Right? But we're looking for the fruit rather than the person. We're keeping going after the result of what he grows in our life rather than the person of the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we can think, well, I'm a gentle person, right? We can, and these are our natural attributes. This is not the Holy Spirit attributes. These are natural attributes. And you might think, well, actually, I'm a very kind person, and I don't like confrontation, so I'll just... Let people have their way, and that's me being very kind, when actually that is just apathy and being passive. We can say, you know, I'm, oh, I, I am a very faithful person. I don't let people down. Oh, I never let people down. I will, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's great, and we'll make ourselves do that. But with that, there's a wee tinge of self-righteousness, maybe just a wee bit of judgment on other people who are not just quite as good at keeping their word. See, the Spirit is all about going beyond what we do to why we do it. Why are we kind? Why are we faithful? Why are we gentle? See, the Holy Spirit is all about changing us to the core of who we are and the way we live, the way we do. He comes and he makes us very loving, really joyful, and truly faithful. So why do we need the fruit? Galatians 1 5, verse 1, same chapter that we were in. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The Judaizers and the loose living, Paul says to them, you're not going to find freedom in the law and you're not going to find true freedom and living loose to your sin. Only true freedom comes from the Holy Spirit. True freedom is found in the ways of the Spirit. It's in His ways that we experience freedom in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is righteous, it is godly, and it leads us into freedom. We are constantly, in our culture, we are trying to define what freedom is. What does freedom look like? What does it mean? We are, um, people are fighting for their rights and their human rights and all these things, and loads of those things are completely right and godly. But we have become obsessed with, if I want to do this, then I should be allowed to do it. If I desire it, then this is who I am, and I should be allowed to be who I am. That's what culture tells us. You are what you desire. But Scripture doesn't define us in that way. Jesus hasn't come to enhance our lives as an add-on. Jesus has come to give us an entirely new life altogether and to reframe for us what freedom truly is. Jesus tells us that freedom is being who you were made to be and not living in the sinful mess that we've always been in. It's a huge shift. 
deep down inside of us, we know, we know deep down to the core of who we are that things are not just right, if we're honest. The way we treat people who we claim to love. The way we go about our businesses. All stem sometimes from that deep, broken part of us. The way we do relationships and friendships. And this brokenness inside us sometimes bubbles to the surface and we go, I need to change, I need to change. I want to change. I don't want my life to be like this. Well, here's the good news this morning. Jesus says, you can change. You can change. That deep brokenness inside you, he wants to transform that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, for a lot of us, we look at the vice list and we think, my life is way more like that than the virtue list. And even those of us who are good at the, at the Northern Ireland good living thing, so often we look at the, at the list and we think, actually, deep down inside, my life and my heart is more like the vice list. But we live with a suffocating fear that someday we're going to get found out. Someday people are going to see what's really going on in the inside below the surface. Someday my life is going to blow up like a volcano and all the dark, putrid stuff in my heart is going to erupt to the surface and the game's up. I might look virtuous on the outside, but if only people knew my heart. It's killing us. Christ has come to make us alive right now. Right now, he has come to breathe new life into us. There is a correlation. When God created Adam, what did he do? He breathed. He breathed on him. He breathed life into him. When we want to become alive again, when we want to get rid of that dead putridness in the inside of us, what do we do? We invite the Holy Spirit to breathe on us again. Come, breathe on us again. It's the Holy Spirit of God that we need in our lives. He walks us into freedom, and we need him to breathe his life into us. How do we get this fruit? This is more than just a list of character traits. There's more merit. I think there's more in it that we should just desire these things, right? It's good to have them. It's good to desire. It's good to desire gentleness, kindness, love, and all the things. It's really good to desire them. But in another sense, these are not commands. These are the fruit. These are the result of us being uh, filled with the Spirit. So how do we make sure, how do we cultivate these fruits, this, these fruit, correct myself, this fruit in our life. First Thessalonians 5.19 says this, do not quench the spirit. There are things that you can do to quench the spirit, and most of them are actually found in the vice list, if we look at that list of things that we shouldn't do. If you want to quench the spirit in your life, then you go after just living your life however you want to. But quenching the spirit can also be where we hold them at arm's length. Quenching the spirit is where we'll say, okay, this far and no more. You can come here, Holy Spirit, but I am not going to let you in any closer than that. Or, or I'm going to follow you 80% of the way, but there's still that wee 20% where I like to have my own way in my life. God all along has called us to be people of the spirit. Joel 2, 28 and 29 says this, And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Do you know how many people longed for those days that Joel talked about? Hundreds of years of people longing and waiting for the Spirit of God to come. Hundreds and hundreds of years of God's people longing. Since the Garden of Humanity, or sorry, since the Garden of Eden, humanity has groaned and waited for these days when the Spirit will be poured out. And we are living in those days. We are living in those days. Do you know what it's a bit like? I'm going to India next week. Not this week, but the following week. And so it's funny. Before I go back, it's like I get all these flashback pictures of what it's like. And when I'm in India, the rest of my life, I never think about this. But when I'm in India, I am all of a sudden really consciously aware of how much of a luxury it is that you can turn on a tap and drink water. When I'm at home, honestly, rarely think about it. Sometimes I do, and I'm like, thank God for the water, and I think about my friends in India who don't have running water, right? But on the whole, I don't, I just take it for granted, turn on the tap, clean my teeth, turn on the tap, peel the potatoes, do whatever, just go on about my everyday normal life, flush the toilet, have a bath, have a shower, do whatever we do, turn on the washing machine, dishwasher, all those things that need water. And I never think about it. This is what it's like sometimes with the Holy Spirit. We live in the days where he is here and available and wanting to be poured out in us. And it's like turning on the water tap. We're just so used to it. We've just taken him so for granted that it no longer feels the way it should do. If we could go back to the time where people for hundreds of years, they longed and they waited for the presence of God to come. And not just come, but that he would come and dwell in you. That he would be poured out on us. And we've taken them for granted. In fact, worse than that, we think it's a choice. We think it's a choice. As Christians, what we have to give to a, a broken, broken world, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, what a gift he is. No other religion has the Holy Spirit. No other religion even has a teaching that, that a God would reside in the people. We have God, Yahweh, Spirit, coursing through our veins. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's freedom that the Holy Spirit leads us into. Drop the legalism. Drop the loose living. His yoke is the Spirit of God, changing us from the inside out. It's Holy Spirit beating in our hearts. It's Him coursing through our veins, whispering, give yourself away. Give yourself away. Don't live in apathy. His yoke, that's my spirit. We are to take up His yoke, the Holy Spirit, and we will begin to see the fruit appear in our lives. Others around us will begin to notice Him. People are already seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Do you know that? They already see and sense them. There's people that you work with. There's people in your family. And they have said it something like this. I don't understand how you can be so calm right now. 
understand how you can keep going with all that you have on your plate. I don't understand how you're so patient. People are already seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. They're already sensing that aroma, that sweet aroma of His fruit. But the way of the Spirit is not striving, it's not trying harder. The way of the Spirit is surrender. The way of the Spirit is having our roots firmly, firmly going down into Him. I want to finish with this. John 15, 4-5. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The way of Jesus is the way of the Spirit. He promised us the Holy Spirit. We remain in the vine through our rootedness and attachment to the Holy Spirit, and that's how we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Would you stand with me?